I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome, and I'm going to say this wrong, Mauricio Berber. And he is an immigrant from Mexico. He is the American success story. He's moved to the United States, founded three successful companies. He is passionate about philanthropy and being involved in the community. In 2005, he founded the Sagrada and here's where my Spanish is not good, but Esperanza Project, and expanded that passion in 2010 when he co-founded RMJ Humanities. It's a nonprofit organization that provides scholarships to underprivileged students. Um, Mauricio believes he is a product of mentorship, and he believes in paying it forward. And that's what we're going to have him talk about today here on Leaders and Legacies is what he's learned in the process. Mauricio, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Always good to talk to another Texan. I'm yeah, I mean I moved here from somewhere else. Most people, you know, it's uh most people who are not from Texas think I'm from North Carolina. People from North Carolina are horrified by that fact. But it's been delightful living here in Texas. You're in Houston. Houston, Texas, former Californian. Former Californian. Recovering, as I like to say. (laughs) Well, because you you shared briefly a story with me uh, about, you know, having goop fall on you in the desert. And that's a interesting visual because of all the things I'd expect to follow me in the desert. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to be goop, and I don't consider Houston desert. So, what you were a banker, you were you were a banker, and you had a goal to be to do what as a banker? Well, I by almost not getting hired as a teller at the beginning, um, I you know they said I talk too much, go figure. Um, then they said that I you know I had to be very careful. I then saw that the youngest manager. I think of the state actually was 25 and I happened to know the guy. And so I was like, I'm going to set it 24. I want to beat that. And through the vision boards and, you know, just getting really just hitting it hard. I was able to hit that by age 21 being the youngest manager uh, in the state for that bank. Wow. So moss doesn't grow under your feet. <laughs> I like to stay mobile and move around. <laughs> So, so here you are, you're, you're, you're like beating records, setting records in the banking industry. I, I mean, just, just for perspective, um, you know, when I was 21, I was in the Marine Corps light and farts, uh, and you're a bank manager. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And so you were on a good trajectory and at some point you decided to start crawling under garbage trucks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Best decision of my life, actually. <laughs> it sounds crazy. 
we're we're going to clip that. That's going to that's definitely going to go out. Decided to get under a garbage truck. Best decision of my life. Why was it the best decision? Okay, well, I was not only the youngest manager. I had just bought my first house, and coming from Mexico, where our homes were like you know dirt floors, little shacks, and we lived in a what thirteen hundred square foot home at my in my parents' house. Um, going to this, you know, 2,700 square foot on a lake home was like, whoa, cloud nine, right? Amazing, comfortable, beautiful, suit up every day. And then the proposition between my business partner, who's today, my we've been business partners for 20 years, says, there's a need and we're going to have, if you're in, let's jump. So decided to jump, but it was scary because it's like, we're going to go from this really cushy lifestyle to going under trash trucks in the middle of the desert where it's like 95 degrees in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, not fun. Well, wait, wait a minute. So banking to under trash trucks, what, how do you get paid crawling under trash trucks? What were you doing? We were actually installing uh, cameras. So back then, remember, take not, but 2006, not only is there kind of the bubble burst getting to burst getting ready to burst but um there were trash trucks literally killing people you see it on the news all the time they're backing up even though they had those beeping people tend to tune them out and the drivers couldn't see so they ended up killing a few people in this in san diego and we're like that's fixable and if we get into the business of selling cameras then we can avoid that we can help that you know solve that problem and so i was like well who's going to do the work we are <laughs> so take the suits off, go onto these trash trucks, start installing, which we knew nothing about. Fortunately, we had like a guide to show us how to install these. But man, there's no smell that will you will forever remember than the smell of goop in the middle of the heat. Yeah, very fun. Wow. So you're like a you're like another Mike Rove, you know, dirty jobs. <laughs> Basically, it was pretty dirty. And, and, I, and I specifically remember, if I share this real quick, we we were covered like dirt like dark i mean we were black after and we went to a denny's that like i think it was like three o'clock three a.m right and we walk in and people are looking at us like can we help you we, we looked in we looked pretty we looked pretty rough we smelled pretty rough going into the bathroom we're washing and the sinks are just turning black i mean it's so much stuff on us and we'll never forget those days because it, it was it was also making us think to ourselves did we make the right decision we went from glamour to this and and so yeah, best decision ever because it led us to this. What we yeah. have to. Well, and you know, there's another little hidden nugget in there. You know, so you walk in that Denny's and people look at you and they immediately start making assumptions and judgments and and what have you. And little did they know that you're in the process of saving lives. Yeah, it's the beginning of the beginning. Yes, exactly. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Now you said you were doing this in the desert. Which desert? It was near the Palm Springs area. Okay. We were doing this company called um, Burtech. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'll never forget those, those, that area, those, that, that name. Yeah. First one, they were the ones that gave us the first shot. I actually am grateful for it because they, they were like, sure, let's do it. And let's, let's start making our public safe. And so I was like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> what was unique about them where they, they were the ones to give you the first shot? Well, they were the ones that took our call. They were the ones that entertained the idea of being safer versus have proactive versus reactive, right? Let's not be on the news and have our name be 
the front line, uh, the headline. Let's uh, let's try to avoid killing people. And they had the budget. They said we're open to technology, and and then we were, they opened the door for us. Wow. Yeah. And how many how many phone calls? So they took your call. How many people before them did not take your call? A lot. A lot. We, one of the things I think that was a blessing, right? That they like say there's a nugget there. When you have something that's ahead of its time and people are not ready to adopt, you get kicked out of office often. And you get told that you're trying to sell me hot soup on a hot day, get out of here. And then to, to crank it up one more level, if you're in an industry or a time where the reset it's it's a it's like a mini recession, the times are bad, it's even worse because it's like, how dare you come try to sell me something when I'm can barely even pay for my employees? The idea was spend a little money to save a lot of money, but we had to make sure we were persistent enough to get people to understand. And then when we did, we had to then take that and tell other folks, who else do you know that we can help? But it was painful, painful, painful. Well, you know, and one of the problems or one of the things I think a lot of people discover as they're going through there, going through that process is the messaging they start with is not the messaging they end with. You know, the, you, you probably discovered the way you were wording it just wasn't resonating. What, what did you learn in that process? Exactly that. What what are we saying and how are we approaching this? Is it a fear-based approach? Is it an educational-based approach? Like, how do we go into it? And who are we talking to? Are we talking to the decision makers? Are we talking to the fleet guys? And often we learn, actually what we learn there is the fleet guys would buy into the product, but the ones that really made the decision were the C-level folks, right? So we had to start calling them to get their blessing to then be able to get the fleet manager to open their arms and say, okay, we're open to it. Because if you went straight to the fleet manager, it was like, go away. That's another task. That's another job. That's another thing I got to do. It's another thing I have to push up to spend for. And I don't want to do that. So yeah, you. I think you're absolutely right. Um, there's so much learning that goes on when you attack a certain vertical, certain industry, where you can over time learn to fine tune that messaging and then be able to get that that relationship. So how long did it take to get from the from the first call to somebody saying yes to that place in Palm Springs or near Palm Springs? It's gonna sound horrible. It was months, and then to actually even go from uh, to even make money, it took us two years, two years to actually like profit. It was, wow. it was painful, 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 painful. So, so what did you guys do for money and food for those two years? Okay. So <laughs> we, ex well, long story short, we exhausted our 401k, our savings. We were literally down to fumes on what we could afford. And, but for me being young and kind of like, not understanding. I was taught very early on by a lady named D Wells. I'll never forget her. She was like, she, she brought the concept of 401k, which, you know, when you're 19, 20, you're like, I get more money. I spend more money. But she was basically saying, Hey, uh, you should think about this 401k, which you put money aside. And in my mind, this is going to sound super crazy. In my mind, all of my friends, because I was hanging out with more so not the, I want to say the rough crowd, but it's all I had in my area, right? That's, yeah, that's my influence is who I grew up with. But almost everyone was either getting into a um, situation where they got a girl pregnant or they had uh, gone to jail or, you know, or just did something stupid. And in my mind, I was like, what if I pretend like I made that mistake and I got a girl pregnant? I'll just start a little 
baby fund and I called it Little Bertha. If I would have had a baby, we're going to Little Bertha and I just contribute to Little Bertha's birthday. And that's how I started my 401k. And then it helped me to stay alive for those two years that were just crucially painful. Oh, my goodness. You know, when you were talking, it reminds me of the Offspring song, uh, The Kids Aren't All Right. Are you familiar with that song? Offspring? No, not. Oh, uh, yeah. But it just, yeah, it just talks about, you know, the you were talking about people growing up and they were you know getting getting girls pregnant or going to jail or different things like that and that's what the song's about and just the tragedy of all that and uh how how miraculous how wonderful that you came up with a plan to kind of escape that that cycle yeah it's just yeah random thought my mind works kind of (laughs) interesting but it worked i mean it, it it allowed us to have that runway and and this, this whole time, by the way, that I'm doing this and struggling to eat, um, our family and friends, right? Negative, 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 negative. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You made a mistake. You made a mistake. You threw your life away. That constant reminder of like people betting against you was made it even more painful than it already was because they were basically validating you made a bad decision. And they're like, you, we had to, my business partner, and I had to kind of get ourselves out of that hole, you know? Um, yeah that was tough now if if you could go back to your old neighborhood and give a piece of advice that they would actually listen to what would that piece of advice be if i could do it you can too as as cliche as that sounds is we all had the same resources i didn't have any special anything we all had the same opportunity but i guess back to your point change hurts and that's what that's i think the biggest killer in, in that circle or any circle, I think, where they don't want to change what they have. It's comfortable. I like this. This is fine. I'll stay here. And then 10 years later, they're still there. So change hurts, work through the pain, and and then it'll be so rewarding. I think that's that's a message I would send. Wow. That's a powerful message. And change does hurt. Um, the yeah, for me today, I'm a there's a recliner. My wife moved downstairs after I got out of the hospital. You know, I you know, I had to learn how to walk again two years ago and couldn't go upstairs. And and that recliner has been kind of a place of comfort and, and it was a place of growth for me for a long time. But I realize it's now a boat anchor and I get it's too easy to get there, get in that and relax and uh, fall asleep. And I'm like, I need to move that back upstairs and move on. Change hurts. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. So. um so now let's, I mean, let's uh, fast forward to where you are right now. So you started doing all that. What are you doing now? Okay. So now we're in the business of significantly reducing risky driver behavior. And this came about from learning from our clients. So after cameras, we were introduced to GPS tracking, which we knew nothing about. And talk about being ahead of its time. GPS tracking 2007, 2008 was like this concept of if we can help you see your fleets better. You will have better fuel economy and all these savings, right? Get out of here. (laughs) Same thing. No way. Um, But through that process, we were persistent and we went to the path of least resistance, which at the time, everybody was selling to the low hanging fruit, the plumbers, the electricians, those types of fleets. We decided we don't want to go in there. We want to stand out. So we went after the water districts and that's where we made our name in the water world. We blew that business up. This is something that 
uh, and that business is residual um, revenue that comes in, right? Well, that helped us fund what we have today. So we're happy to say we've self-funded bootstrap this. But why I share that is because through that process, we identified a problem we weren't even aware of where we're giving this client all this awesome, you know, reporting optics solutions. But then they realize the courts can now subpoena my GPS tracking records and it's going to put me in a really bad place. Why? Because if I, they pull Craig's driving records for the last 90 days, they're going to be able to see that Craig was speeding, heartbreaking, doing all these crazy things. And what they're going to do is they're going to paint a pretty picture in front of the jury saying, oh my gosh, Mauricio was willfully negligent. He put profits over people. The data was there. He didn't pay attention to it. And instead, he focused on revenue generating tasks. Then they tell the jury, they put him into this fight or flight state. We should teach Mauricio and this corporate evil corporation a lesson. And instead of 10 million, let's do 80 million. And the jury eats it up because they want to teach that evil corporation lesson. And that's what's contributed to the you know thousand percent increase in nuclear verdicts over the last three years. So to answer your question, sorry, long story short, we have automated that process to flip that case on its head. Our training is short, digestible, three to five minutes. It goes specifically to the behavior of the driver based on the risk tolerance of the fleet. And therefore, we're the, the corporation can prove they're proactively making that driver better every single day. And when they go to court in the same situation, they can now produce all these reports and documentation that says they were proactively making that driver better. So, okay. So let me, let me recap this, make sure I got this right. So you put technology in vehicles and fleet vehicles that actively monitors drivers before they have an accident, you detect bad driving behavior and you send them specific training based on the behavior that you're detecting. That's wow. Yeah. And the genius I think you just brought out was instead of, you, you, you know, the objection you were handling was it was a liability. You flipped that on its head and said, no, we're going to take turn this into a strength showing that the corporation has been um, proactive in trying to reduce accidents and so therefore no award should be granted. Actually, the, the, the award should be a pat on the back for trying to be a good citizen. Exactly. It takes that villain away from the corp corporation. And in most, I think all of the cases we've seen, the risk literally just starts to drop because what happens when you hold drivers accountable, even if it's short, painful little courses, they pay attention. And the best part is they talk to each other and now they go, Hey, our, our company is serious about safety and it changes the whole dynamic. One thing that we found through this process, something we never even expected is through interviewing fleet managers, we, we asked what keeps you from training your drivers? And there was a number of, of, of things, but primarily was, I don't want my, you, my words to be used against me. I also don't want to upset a driver by bringing them in three times a week to tell them that he's driving like a knucklehead. And then he's going to want to go somewhere else. I now lose a driver, I lose productivity, and I have to go spend all this money to retrain a new one. So all of these different things were happening. When you put a system in place that doesn't see race, gender, anything else, right, age, anything like that, and you give them just these short digestible courses that shows them that they're, they have to be accountable, it, it just completely changes their mind on how to do things. Uh, so we're very excited about what it's doing overall. And, and a great case, uh, example of this is we traditionally work with unions in different states through these water districts. At first, unions would be like, GPS, 
you're evil. Go away. You're trying to, you know, big brother on my drivers. But today they're saying, come on in because you are making our drivers safer. And we know they're all being treated equitably because there's no specific person training these guys. It's a phone call saying, hey, you, Craig, you have a training past due. Make sure you get that done before it's past due. That's it. It's simple. Yeah. So in the course of this, I mean, what, what a fascinating life you've, you've lived and what an interesting journey. What have you learned about leadership in this journey? A lot. Uh, leadership. So there, you know, there's two ways to lead where you tell people, and this is, this is kind of why we left corporate America. It was like, this is how we do it. And there's no, no way to deviate from this. Right. And you don't have any employee buy-in. And we want, we, we actually, our biggest incentive going into our own business was to change that, to be able to say, Hey, if you have ideas, there's no such thing as a dumb idea. Let's, let's hear it out and have you buy into the company so that we could all grow together as a team. And so I think there's a big difference in be- between uh, leaders who you know, just are dictators versus leaders who actually lead by example. And for us, that's, that's I've, I've had that stick into my head very well, where it's get the, their team members. They're not your employees. They're not a, this, you have to fit in the box. We've taken the approach of kind of like the um, the Southwest, right? Versus like the United. If, you, if it's not in this box, don't. Don't have any leeway, but on the Southwest, if, it, if we don't lose money and if it makes the customer happy, let's do it. Right. So that, that, that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what's a, what's a time where you feel like you're kind of a white knuckled moment where you feel like your leadership was put to the test. So comfort, right. We built this business, like built it strong and we have all this amazing revenue coming through. And we had to make a decision. Do we stay in this comfort zone, which we knew because we were, you know, we like to look ahead that the business itself as a reseller model is eventually going to die. And it's headed that direction because what happened to the cell phone industry is going to happen to the telematics industry and all these other products, right? The margin gets shrunk, it becomes free, and basically you lose your, your business model starts to suffer. So we were like, we can stay in this comfort zone. And continue to, you know, put on all this money and save it, maybe spend it. Or we can start investing into a new venture where we own the technology. We we have the patent. We This is us. But it's going to require for us to take that cushion, comfortable money, and invest it ourselves. And that was like, do that was a decision. It was a hard. Do we build this, even though we know nothing about coding, right? Yeah. And Or do we stay here in this comfort zone and then just kind of ride this to the sunset? And that was one of those things where we decided to invest in a product we believed that would change lives and really truly in add value to the industry, put in all our money. And we it was almost like we went back, right? It was like back to the starving days of like, now we gotta make it. <laughs> so it, we're crazy in that way. But I think it's exciting. And you know, it, it was a good risk that paid off. Wow. Excellent. And and uh just such a powerful story. Um Mar- and I keep getting nervous when I say Mauricio. Um, I'm sorry, my Spanish is no good. But how do people, so your company is Predictive Coach. How do people get in touch with you? 
Well, we can go, we have a number of ways, our website, of course, and in LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. People can look me up, uh, Mauricio Berber, uh, LinkedIn. Well, there's ways, for, there's also landing page there they can look at if they look at, want to see videos or case studies. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. Okay. Well, I hope people are going to reach out to you. The, you know, the things that really stood out to me were, you know, high ambition from an early age, but not a need to, you know, for the glamour, you know, you go from the banking to goop under the garbage truck. But the other thing that just really stands out is I hear this continuous drive to make lives better. You saw people dying that didn't need to die. What an honorable, honorable drive that that's guided your life. Thank you for being on Layers and Legacies. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.